Well, g'day there and welcome to the Oak City Church podcast. We are so glad that you've joined us today for another encouraging message from our Sunday gatherings of Oak City Church. If we can connect with you in any way, please see us at oakcitychurch.com.au or check out our socials online. We hope to see you in person soon. We all have a perception of who we are, and that perception has been shaped 
by a lifetime of living in this very broken world. Your perception of who you are can have been shaped by a number of things. It may have been shaped by your family of origin, your parents. It may have been shaped by your high school experience. I went to a clicky private or girls school that had to have a bullying intervention in year 11. I've been shaped by my high school experience. Your perception of who you are may have been shaped by your dating experience and how you were treated. It may have even been shaped by your church experience. Whatever it is, your perception of who you are has been shaped by a lifetime of living in this very and as a result, for a lot of us, how we see ourselves is actually, it's, it's distorted, it's a bit warped. It's kind of like those mirrors that you stand in front of at Little Park, right, the Easter show. You know, the ones that they change how you see yourself. They make you, they make you really tall, or they make you really, really short, really wide, or really skinny. Well, for a lot of ourselves, how we see ourselves is like looking through that we're seeing a distorted view of ourselves, a warped view. And as a result, we're not seeing ourselves as who we actually are. And we're not seeing ourselves as God sees us. So as we look at the book of Ephesians, what I love about this book is it's actually like a handbook to who you are. They should almost direct new Christians to this book because if you're looking for the answer to the question to, for the answer to the statement, I am Dr. Paul, you're going to find it in Ephesians. Because Paul actually writes it to a bunch of new Christians. They're not totally fresh in their defense, they are a couple of years in. But he feels that they need reminding of who they are in Christ nonetheless. You see, they lived in the same broken world that we do. And their perceptions of who they were were being shaped by their surroundings much like ours are. You see, Ephesus was a big city, a little bit like Sydney, I suppose. And everyone worshipped the Greek goddess Artemis. It was common practice to buy idols and worship those idols. And it was, they, they believed that those idols inherited the full presence of that God. So they would worship those idols in order to receive blessing. But these new Christians, they live with Jesus now. So they're burning their idols. The idol makers are starting to freak out. If this catches on, if too many people start worshiping Jesus, we're gonna be out of business. Mm -mm. And people are actually starting to riot because of the unrest and because of the disruption. You can imagine what life is like for these Ephesian Christians. So put yourself in their shoes. Imagine they're at home and they're having a conversation with their highly religious family and they're saying, yeah, look, I'm not going to worship Artemis anymore. It's not who I am. I'm really good friends with um, a woman who became a Christian and she had to have the conversation with her very devout Muslim mother that she wasn't going to worship Allah anymore. 
It was a hard time. That conversation was hard. The Ephesian church are having a hard time. The town is in upheaval. Listen then. People are rioting and they're probably asking themselves, have I done the right thing? Am I elite? Am I a complete and so Paul writes them this letter. Now, if I were Paul, I would have sent them a letter that was very specific, full of instructions. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of happy about that. And it would have said something along the lines of, hey guys, here is a long and exhaustive list of everything you can and cannot, and are and are not to do with now that you're a Christian. Really good, really good. But not Paul. He structures it really differently by splitting the letter, the book, into chapters one to three and chapters four to six. Literally, he splits it right down the middle. The first half, all about identity, reminding the believers of who they are now that they're in Christ. The second half, is all about what you're to do now that you know who you are. By structuring it this way, Paul is showing us how important identity is. You've got to know who you are before you can worry about what you're to do and what you're supposed to do. And so he says, Dear friends, my name is Paul. I'm reading from the Passion Translation. And I was chosen by God to be an apostle of Jesus the Messiah. I am writing this letter to all the devoted believers who have been made holy by being one with Jesus in the name to come. May God himself, the heavenly father of our Lord Jesus Christ, release grace over you and impart total well-being in your lives. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm has already been lavished upon us as a love gift from our wonderful heavenly father, the father of our Lord Jesus or because he sees us wrapped into Christ. This is why we celebrate him with all our hearts. And in love he chose us before the foundation of the universe. Because of his great love, he ordained us so that we would be seen as holy in his eyes with an unstained innocence. For it was always in his perfect plan to adopt us as his delightful children through our union with Jesus the Anointed so that his tremendous love that cascades over us would glorify his grace, the same love he has for the beloved Jesus he has for us, and this unfolding plan brings him great pleasure. Paul jumps straight into this letter. He doesn't spend a lot of time on introductions and pleasantries like he does in a lot of his other letters, and I think what we can take from that is when it comes to the topic of identity, Paul's not he says, you are blessed, you are chosen, you are adopted. I'm, I'm highly condensing that passage. But he says, you are blessed, you are chosen, you are adopted. You are blessed. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm has already been lavished upon us as a love gift from our wonderful heavenly Father, the Father of our Lord Jesus, or because he sees us wrapped into Christ. Straight away, Paul is showing us the generous heart of God. 
time with someone who's a little bit stingy. I remember when I was in high school, I was home one evening, it was just me and my stepbrother who were home, and we realised it was Halloween. So we went to the kitchen, to the cupboards, looking for chocolate, and all that was left was one packet of Smarties. So, as the kids strolled around to our house, admittedly they were teenagers looking for free food, um, we opened the door and proceeded to give them um, they did not. <laughs> but you see, God's not like that. He's not stingy. He's not handing out just one blessing at a time. And he's not handing out just one to each of us. He's upending the whole bucket of blessings upon us. And they're not tiny little smiley they're massive blessings. Massive blessings like salvation. Massive blessings like inheriting the kingdom. Massive blessings like the divine exchange between us and Jesus when he took our place and we took his. And it's all because he sees us wrapped into Christ. Some translations put that just in Christ. In Christ. In Christ not only speaks to God's love, but our identity. To put it into context for you, Paul uses the words in Christ to describe God's people 164 times in the New Testament. And he uses the word Christian four times. Because who you are is not a Christian, who you are is in Christ. And Galatians gives us the beautiful definition of what it means to be in Christ. Faith immersed you into Christ, and now you are covered and clothed with his love. God's not stingy. He has given us every spiritual blessing, and as a result, we can say we are blessed. You are chosen. Paul goes on and he says, in love he chose us before he laid the foundation of the universe. Because of his great love, he ordained us so that we would be seen as holy in his eyes with an unstained innocence. When Paul says that we are chosen by God, he's speaking to the vulnerability of every heart that has ever thought, please choose me. Please don't. When I was 22, I was a design assistant in a design firm, and I was absolutely loving my job. I was loving the team that I was working in, and I was just loving the vibe of the company. And my performance review came over. My boss took me into the boardroom, we sat down, and he said to me, I don't think you have what it takes to pursue a career in this industry. I think you should probably start looking at other options. Something about my brain of being analytical enough didn't know what that meant. But it was like a punch to the gut. And the rejection that I experienced from him for that moment stayed with me for years. I'm still talking about it ten years on. By calling us chosen, God is ministering to us in the rejection that we're in. 
parents, friends, partners, bosses. Because rejection attacks our identity by saying we are not good enough or we're not worth it. But of course we know from the text that God has chosen us, right, which is good news. But I know for me, if I'm in that place of rejection and I'm feeling worthless, you just telling me I'm not is not enough. So Paul backs it up. He's like, okay, okay. You're not only chosen, you were chosen before he laid the foundation of the universe. Imagine for a moment that God's about to create the universe down on this wheel. I would think create universe first, then create people to put in the universe. But not God. When it comes to his people, God has always put his people first. Think like he, he's about to create the sky and the sea and the land and all of the animals to go in the sea, on the land. And he puts all of that aside. And he thinks of you first. He calls you by name and chooses you. Rejection has no place in the life of someone who's been chosen. And then finally, Paul says, you are adopted. For it was always his perfect plan to adopt us as his delightful children through our union with Jesus, the anointed one, so that his tremendous love that cascades over us would glorify his grace. Now, we all know what adoption is, right? It's when an adult or two adults choose a child and they welcome that child into their family and become part of the family. Well, that's not what actually what Paul is doing about here, because adoption in first century Rome was different. It was actually adults that were adopted, rarely ever children. What would happen is, if you were a wealthy landowner and you had no heir, you would look to adopt an adult who would carry on your name and your estate after you die. The moment that you were adopted in Rome, your name would change. They would expunge your former identity and any debts and bills that you had disappeared. You became a new person. A new person with an enormous inheritance. Completely undeserved. Imagine being a slave as 80% of the Ephesian church probably were and hearing this. Being adopted by a wealthy landowner would have been every the equivalent to winning the lottery. Now, I hear about it all the time. My mother-in-law is really just about buying her lottery tickets. And she always talks about what it would be like if she won. We, I'd quit my job, we'd sell the house, we'd buy a caravan, and we'd just travel the country and live the dream. Live the dream. Being adopted as a slave would be to live. And yet that's what we have. 
You see, you don't have to be some cute, starry-eyed kid to be adopted by God. Exactly as you are, with all of your brokenness, stuff-ups, regrets, you are adopted by God and inherit his kingdom. Paul finishes these verses by saying, for the same love that he has for the beloved Jesus, he has for us. And this unfolding plan brings him great pleasure. To tell us that we are blessed, to tell us that we are chosen, and to tell us that we are adopted brings God great pleasure. I want to finish this morning by reading you just a line from a song that I was reminded of the other day. It's called Pieces by Bethel. And in it she says this, you don't give your heart in pieces. She's talking to God. You don't hide yourself to tease us. You don't give your heart in pieces. God doesn't give us his heart and his love in tiny he pours it out on us and it gives him great pleasure to tell us that we are blessed because of Thanks, guys. Um, I might just finish by praying and then we can continue to feast for Mother's Day. Oh, Father, we just thank you that you're so generous. You are so generous to us and I pray that what we've heard this morning from your word about your generosity would sow deep, deeply in our hearts. And that, Father, we would embrace and live the new identity that you have given us of your generosity and your love for us. I pray that the truths about forming us before the universe and giving everything for, for us would just live deep within our hearts and our minds. And yeah, we just... We thank you, Father. We thank you that you are you are our Father and that you have given us you. Amen. 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 Amen.